It's probably not a good idea to play with your food, but apparently playing games with your content is highly recommended. At least that's according to today's guest, Natasha Skult. Natasha is a self-confessed game nerd and founder of game development firm MyTale, and she joins us to talk about interactive storytelling. You're listening to Context Matters, a monthly podcast produced by the storytelling specialists at Spoon Helsinki. Hi everyone, I'm Denise Wall and welcome to another episode of Spoon's monthly podcast, Context Matters. Today we're joined by Natasha Skult, a lifelong gamer and founder of the game development firm MyTale. Like the folks at Spoon, Natasha is an ardent believer in the power of great storytelling and she's been working on combining good stories and games and she's been weaving that magic for corporate clients. Welcome Natasha, great to have you. Thank you Denise. It's lovely to be here. First up, I think our audience would like to know a little bit more about you and exactly what you do. What's your background in the game industry and when did you make the connection between games and storytelling for corporations? I'm a CEO and creative director of Mytel, as you mentioned, and my background is actually in traditional arts. At the same time, besides my traditional art education, I also did the degree in graphic design and digital art was always hand in hand going with my, let's say, traditional art production education. And games, on the other hand, that was always my private life. So games and books. So you're uh, okay with the nerd label? Well, totally. <laughs> like that's a, um, And I know that was especially back in the day, being a girl gamer or self-proclaimed, I mean, there wasn't really gamer girls kind of at the, at the time. Um, that was weird. And I never dreamed that I would be actually working in games or, or creating uh, content for games. But then later on, as I moved to Finland 15 years ago now, oh my, my step into the industry was through creating concept art for different kinds of projects, including game projects. This is where I noticed how game developers work together and what the team spirit it is there and so on. I was really impressed with the way of teamwork was in the games industry. And this is where I actually made a complete switch. But in your company, as I understand it, you're working with corporations. And when people think about the game industry and, and game developers, they think about people making games for mass production for consumer audiences. Yes. So that is the B2C kind of. So this is where you are creating products directly for the clients. Well, for the consumer. But when it comes to creating for the corporations, I mean, with the B2B model that we have at our company, one of the things that we are making sure when we discuss with our also partners, not just clients, is that making sure that they understand what kind of possibilities there are within the game development itself. So we are talking here not just about technology. We are talking here about designing the experience. And this is something that not many understand. Gamification is using the, the practices, again, from the game design and creating that unique experience based on the not just content that you have, but also needs or aims that what that gamified product should deliver to their users. So it's always user-centric. So I always start any of our discussions with potential clients or partners that really asking a lot of questions to understand what their aim really is with that product. Because knowing their aim, then we can see is even their initial idea what technology to use, what your target audience or what your clients are actually using. And based on that, 
what aim of that product would be so that you see which platform, would it be cross-platform also? What kind of accessibility issues there might be? Because we also want to make sure that all the content is accessible regardless of different challenges maybe personalized uh, potential users may have or literally platform-based issues. Now, you talked a bit about ed tech and the opportunities for gamification there. And I think that that's a, a sort of a clear application or use case that people can connect with. But if we go outside of that particular framing, what kinds of reasons do corporations come to a game firm for in terms of developing some kind of unique experience for their either their customers or their clients or their people? One of the most common needs from our clients are, for example, creating this engaging experience through visual storytelling, interactive storytelling, pretty much what marketing agencies do. One of the most recent projects that we were working on is with Viking Line, for example. So we created the whole virtual ship while it was built in China. So there was the virtual version of the ship that one can go through also in VR. It was also used, obviously, for all this marketing material that you see and videos, but also it allows potentially to be used for staff training without even being ship available in Finland, for example. So lots of these sort of corporate trainings can be done as well with the content. Once you have a content, you can uh, then shift it quite easily uh, for different needs of different groups. We help a lot of companies with different kind of storytelling aspects, as said, interactive storytelling particularly. So what if you can have instead of monologue from that image to actually have a dialogue with your audience? Because this is what creates relationship between the product and the audience without getting further to that step of actually purchase, let's say, if you want to achieve or whatever aim you may have with that product. Natasha, you've talked a lot about storytelling, and it's very intriguing to me because, of course, we're interested. We're all about storytelling as well. Uh, but from your perspective, what does storytelling mean when it comes to game design? Let's start with the very basics of what storytelling is. And this is where I will put my arts history theoretical hat on, but also traditional artist point of view. I'm obsessed, always have been obsessed with the amount of story you can put on just an image, whatever image. We're talking here about also traditional paintings, for example. Everything we do when it comes to interactive or visual storytelling in games, it's all based, or at least should be based, on already known best practices from other mediums. Games have a lot of potential and they're a completely new medium for expression and expressing yourself as a creator. It allows that user can experience that content in multiple ways. So what I'm obsessed about is this sort of telling the story through images, which is semiotics, for example, and iconography and many other tiers. Like, how do you actually use all this pretty much symbolism, so to say, to really get to the right point to the receiver? And the thing here, what we have really unique is that from the image to moving image <laughs> to um, music or any other medium, we have monologue towards the user or receiver. While here, the designer or the team behind the game has a dialogue. And that is a 
big game changer in the way how you do the storytelling. So same here. Now in games, even that it's on a screen, but still every movement of the character, regardless is it 2D or 3D environment there, but every move that you do with a camera, it's basically a new allegory that guides the player where to do, what to do, what kind of different options there are. And this is what this is the dialogue I'm talking about. Now, Natasha, when I was prepping for this podcast, I read about how certain elements of games, such as scoring, competition, progress reports and rewards, for example, can be used to motivate teams and to get people more engaged and the fact that large corporations such as Microsoft and SAP and Salesforce have been using what's known as enterprise gaming to motivate and engage their employees and to sort of strike it, improve performance. Is this a growing area for game developers in general? I certainly believe so, because this is also where our company is expanding. This is kind of more part of e-learning services, so to say. So the big corporations usually have their own teams that are dedicated to create this type of content. And hopefully they do have actual, let's say, game designers within that team to provide the right type of balanced scoring system and the way how that scoring works. If it's not done properly, meaning that someone just puts scores out there, it can be quite harmful for the actual employees because it can create all sorts of wrong ideas. At the same time, it's very motivating. And it's not just about personal motivation to actually um, get certain scores, but also as a teamwork, because usually what it happens is that you are doing scoring together with your team. And this is kind of this positive enforcement within the teams to actually just see what their potentials are, because that is the thing. We as humans, we are really in the games. It's quite different how we perceive um, uh, success and failure in real life, because work is real life. We are much more fragile towards that. And games are amazing place where you instead of, oh, I failed. Now I'm going to go and have some extra chocolate and pet a cat. Instead, you would actually uh, want to go back, want to kick that score. <laughs> you want to, or maybe you want to, you know, beat the score of your friend. Or whatever. so there is this personal motivation that you want to go through, which is very hard to do in real life because there are different. Uh, simply, again, it can be just certain situation you are currently having in your life that does not give you this sort of uh, emotional support to move on or or you take things much more deeper to yourself than you should maybe. Uh, and so that's why it can be very dangerous if it's done wrong. But at the same time, we know from the results that uh, it works magic when it comes to teamwork. So I would highly recommend for the companies to actually look more into that. But if they decide to uh, either purchase a service or create their own please consult the professionals because it can be a quite opposite um, result than what you expect. Clear warning there. Now, Natasha, I, I remember that in a previous conversation, you mentioned the fact that our lives are already gamified to some extent and that we probably don't recognize it. So, for example, through technology, you know, our phones and on our laptops. And so the different kinds of content that we engage with, not like in a game, but through technology. And you also said that what's missing from the equation to some extent is the right content. We could probably say that about interactions between some firms and their audiences and that what's missing is the right content. 
So if you think about a content agency like Spoon, what can we add to existing technology that we're using to reach our audiences to help gamify our content? You're absolutely right there that we are fully gamified. We can see that just simply by making so much fuss over how many likes our posts on social media may get. However, when it comes to engagement with the audience, it's all about the content. I mean, the content is something because technology is going forward, especially when you think about children and parents being worried about technology. This is something that we cannot stop technology. We cannot stop children getting the content from whatever, tablets, phones, whatever. It's there. And if we try, well, they will find a way <laughs> because, again, it's available everywhere. But what we should focus instead is to keep up with that, meaning that we take the most what we can from existing technology. And instead of forbidding children, for example, to play so much on their phones or tablets or whatever, we need content that parents and children would enjoy possibly even together. Again, it's all about knowing now this target group, what their habits, interests, what they are. So in games, what we usually do is that if we are thinking about what kind of target group we are aiming for or multiple groups, especially in the mobile games, this is particularly important because you want everyone to play a mobile free-to-play game. The market research is not just about who is where and so on, like where certain content would be, but what kind of value it can bring to that person at that moment. And then we should work with a professional to design the gaming experience. Yes, because once you have a content, then to gamify it, then you bring on board game designer or team of designers, narrative designer as well, because a narrative designer is not someone who is just writing stories. <laughs> it's also how that story is integrated with the design, game design itself, because game design is a structure of what happens where and how and scoring systems and so on. What we humans are really good at, or what really motivates us, is the act of discovery. And this is why games are so addictive. Every time you do something, there is a moment of discovery. And then through that, you are really grabbing them uh, fully into your content and want more of it. One of the new areas that we at Spoon have been talking about in recent weeks is the metaverse, which seems to me to combine or overlap with the growing gamification of our lives and experiences that we just talked about when we talked about the fact that technology is already adding that element of gamification to our lives to some extent. Do you think the metaverse is the next step in our content journey? Well, according to all the science fiction novels from the past, I think that is definitely one of the steps. And yes, you're right. There is a lot of talk about metaverse. And as you know, Facebook is definitely heading there. It's very tricky question because, again, I am not worried of the idea of the metaverse or, you know, also Internet of Things and this and that. Like the main question is, what do you do there? Back to the content. Why should I be part of that metaverse? What does it do for me as individual? What do I gain out of this? When they discovered laser, they had no clue what to do with that laser. It was a cool thing until there were these pioneers experimenting and figuring out what to do with it. Again, the context and the content is something that we will see where metaverse will take us. 
Now, Natasha, we're closing in on the end of our chat, and this is where I usually want to look ahead to the future. And the question I have for you now is, how far do you see gamification and gamified content really getting into our lives, let's say, over the next 10 years? Where do you think we will be in 2030? I have been saying this way before COVID, especially for the educational side of things. And we can already see how much now with COVID and the pandemic, yes, the gamification and having this online and distance content sharing and also learning and and creating new relationships and so on. They found their families literally across the globe, regardless of where they are physically. So where we are heading with the gamification and games in general, how I see it, is that we will have more opportunities to create content that can be used for the individual needs, not just the type of content that we creators think that the users need, but it's more that users, by the way how they are interacting with the world, the world, digital world itself, or virtual world, or whatever you want to call it, I see quantum computing quite uh, effective there, that you could on a quantum level have this sort of digital game world shifting according to the way how player plays or interacts with the virtual world there, even through avatar or in the VR or metaverse, whatever. But this is what I'm experimenting actually at the moment (laughs) with one of our games. And um, so, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to see that because that I think would be something that how we can serve individual. I've got chills down my spine just listening to you talk about that. Final question for you, Natasha. Some estimates put the size of the global gaming market by the year 2025 at over 250 billion. Are we likely to see an increasing slice of that pie being devoted to firms in the B2B space making use of gamified content to reach their target audiences? I would say so. It is high time that we accept that all these technology and opportunities that are there, even the old corporate kind of uh, institutions as such, both private sector and the public sector, they are realizing that just digitalization, not even mentioning gamification or creating it more interactive with your audience, is a must. It's not anymore a question. It's just how fast you will get there So this is where I would see that both business-wise, but also how evolution generally and with globalization, I also see no um, borders, no cultural, or it doesn't matter who and where, this is available for you. And you, again, with the individual aspect, you can access it and go through it on your own terms. Wow. All right. On that note, I think that we've come to the end of our show. It's been a very inspiring and thought-provoking conversation with you, Natasha, and thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure and looking forward to be here again. (laughs) Absolutely. So I'd like to thank our guest again, Natasha Skult, as well as our audience for listening. Remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify and Google so you won't miss a single episode. I'm Denise Wall, and this has been Context Matters. You've been listening to Context Matters, a podcast produced by Spoon Helsinki, a content agency and part of the People, People, People Agency Group.